0: Cool. It's Yay. Yay. Yay! <laughs> yes. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so excited to get into this conversation and I am not alone this week. I have an awesome guest who actually got connected on Instagram on my old page before I was hacked and yes. broken into or whatever happened with that. So I recreated my page. And as you guys know, the podcast is now Live Well Bipolar. And I have the Instagram there, Live Well Bipolar. And I got reconnected with Jean because we were planning Mm. to do an episode. Mm. And I wanted to bring her story to you guys and also introduce who she is and why we're getting into the conversation. So she is a musician, small jewelry business owner, and daily mental health advocate. And I really was excited because we were just talking a lot about our own stories with bipolar and getting into our history. So I'm excited to have Jean just share her story with it. And we're going to talk about stigma, relationships, therapy practices, how to get into changing those negative thoughts, the patterns that we can get into. So I'm excited. And Jean, thank you so much for being here.
1: No, thank you so much. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> i'm so glad to like finally talk with you
0: and I do know. this whole thing i know because yeah. we were talking over voice messages yeah because i we, yeah. would send each other back and forth <laughs> little uh-huh. voice messages. <laughs> but now we're actually we can actually see each other mm-hmm. on the video today but yeah just tell us a little bit about like your story and your background hmm. like related to bipolar we can just start with that okay so i'm gonna try to put it in a nutshell because i feel like
1: you know, all our stories are this huge, long thing, you know, yeah. we could write a book like I mean, you wrote a book. So that's amazing. Um, so, I mean, for me, I feel like ever since I was little, I had this feeling of kind of feeling different and this depression sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And no idea what it was. My parents weren't really educated to be like, let's go to therapy or anything like that. But come the years go by and I'm in college and all this stress and just the schoolwork, I wasn't able to concentrate. And it was like the depression manifesting even bigger and bigger. Mm. And then at that point, I had my first hypomanic episode. So I would be considered to have bipolar too. I was um, 19, 19. Mm. Yes, I was 19.
0: Same age as me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I hear it during that age a lot of mm-hmm. things can manifest or be triggered. I don't know. But yeah, I had my first hypomanic episode and then it lasted six months. Mm. You know, I can smile about it now, kind of like like talk about it, but it was wild. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you can relate. I felt like when I describe it to people or friends it's like a movie. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not familiar with mental like disorders, it's like, oh my God, it's a trip, you know?
0: (laughs) Wow. So what was so at that age, so Mm you talk about 19 years old and having Mm -hmm. your first hypomanic episode and like lasting six months. So how did you know, like, how did you Mm -hmm. know, or where did you get the insight into this is really what's happening?
1: Yes. Um, so When I first realized was after that hypomanic episode, it ended and I went back to depression and I was like, oh, I felt like, uh, you know, when Alice in Wonderland falls down the black hole. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And like, I actually, you know, researched and I was like, this is what bipolar is. This is wild because I knew because when I had the beginning of the hypomanic episode, I was talking fast. I was dressing differently. My thoughts were running fast. And at that moment, I thought I was just because you feel happy and elated. That's the symptoms of mania and hypomania. So it feels almost like it could be cool. Mm -hmm. But it was and then it was crazy. Like I was moving fast and I was spending more money. Um, Yep, like the Hallmark stuff. And then that's how I came across like, oh, this is bipolar disorder, you know? Oh my gosh,
0: yeah. I just, hearing yeah. <laughs> you. oh my gosh, just hearing you get into yeah. what it felt like. And you talked about just like talking fast, getting into like, spending more money, dressing differently, and then mm-hmm. feeling happier. I definitely relate a lot because when you talk mm-hmm. about going in from the depression to that. Mm-hmm. And I hear like a lot of other people who have had experiences too with bipolar say the same similar thing of you're either depressed or, or manic or you're doing good and you're kind of in a good place. But if you had a pick who would pick, I want to pick depression over yeah. because you feel like you can be more productive. Yeah. And Yeah. So when you had your first episode, did you feel like you had support? Because I know you talked about like with your family, like growing Mm -hmm. up, not really going to therapy and that's how Mm -hmm. it was for me. So same thing. Mm -hmm. But did you feel like you had someone that you could talk to about it and be like, Hey, like, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is what I am experiencing and that people were understanding. Or did you feel like you didn't really have either like a supportive network or community? mm-hmm
1: so when it all like went down is when I say how I call recall it is I totally isolated myself mm-hmm. like because it was so horrifying I was like oh my gosh what is this but just my sister and my mom at this time she was in Korea and um, my father is here in Los Angeles and was here but I didn't really have this comfortable connection with him so and he also didn't understand and so my mom i remember zooming her and she was in korea and i was bawling and i was like something is up Mm -hmm. like mentally like something has happened and she i guess like mother's instinct she just hopped on a plane back here because she was originally like in la but after our parents divorced she went to korea So yeah, I would say immediate, immediate family, like, um, my mom, my sister, my mom came here and she and I got an apartment together and she literally like took care of me and just talking about it. Yeah. Talking about it now, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to give her more credit, you know, but yeah, because it was at such a place where I was basically not, uh, mentally disabled I mean you know people file disability for mental disorders so mm-hmm. I was not okay so yeah my oh mom my
0: <laughs> that is so amazing just to hear like, the fact that you you were talking and she like got on a plane and like flew back mm-hmm. and was there because I know it's like you were saying like your dad like more of like understanding what it is and not knowing how to be supportive for you with how you mentioned like, your mom? Like, you were telling her what's going on, like, literally crying on like Zoom and being like, "Hey, this is what's happening." Like having all these things going on. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm trying yeah. to like, do research and figure it out, but and then feeling like you want to talk about that with your dad, but he just doesn't have an understanding of it, and like yeah. you're not feeling that so when you bring up like the personal relationship side of it is just having at least someone that you feel like you could have these conversations with and open up to because some people out there who may not even have a diagnosis of bipolar yet, but they are just struggling with it. And maybe people who are newly diagnosed don't have that person or someone, you know, so at all, at all, since that happened Mm -hmm. when you were 19, what has been like progress since then? What has been really Mm -hmm. helpful for you ever since that happening? Yeah.
1: So for me is so after that first hypomanic episode, a year later, I had one more and it was six months. So that was maybe when I was 20, 21. And then since then, till now has been this, I would say stable, but yet this depressiveness. Mm. So if I were to like be dramatic, I would be like the last 10 years, It's been depressiveness, you know, like depression mainly. So I know that I think I'm one of the people who stay mostly on the low side. Mm -hmm. So that's what I deal with on kind of a day-to-day basis and then what I've been coping with throughout the years. But therapy and daily practices, little tools, all these tools. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just hearing you talk about that so you so at 19 is when you had the first hypomanic mm-hmm. episode that was six months and then a year later you had another mm-hmm. one that was six yeah. months. and since then you haven't had any more mm-hmm. of those oh wow and you're how old are you I am 31 oh my gosh what I this? look I look
1: so young huh
0: I, I know <laughs> I would never think that I would be like oh, she's like 24 25 yeah that is That's a good thing, though. (laughs) That's why I like that you bring that up, too. So, like, Mm -hmm. because I know also we talked about doing the DJ stuff. You talk about your Mm -hmm. schedule for sleeping and stuff. Yeah. Has that been impactful for you?
1: Yes. So DJing comes with being around a lot of people. It's Mm overstimulating. And then there's also alcohol a lot of times. So I actually stopped drinking two years ago. Just because I just knew it would help my situation in particular. Um, Not saying that people shouldn't drink or judge them for it, but for me. And then actually another change I recently made the last couple of weeks. I actually stopped taking nighttime gigs like Mm. past 11 p.m. Because I just wanted to take care of myself. And I'm this different person, you know, like... I'm a little triangle. I don't know, like you know, like I don't know what the saying is, like trying to put a square into a circle, or I don't know. Yeah. But you know, but I'm trying to just tailor my life to me and not judge myself for it. But it's easier said than done because I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. But I'm just making the changes and seeing what works out for me.
0: A big thing that I feel like I took away from just hearing you say that is boundary. Mm setting so setting your boundaries so when a gig comes up where it's really really late at night and then even stopping the drinking too Mm because i know i can definitely relate to how for me that was like really problematic in the past and you trying to change that so have you ever struggled with that before like setting boundaries or how did you become
1: to Mm
0: -hmm. be able to have that
1: yes um Honestly, like I think I at one point called myself the yes man and not even in a good way. Like not like Jim Carrey in the movie, but literally because I would say yes to going out or partaking in certain activities like heavily drinking probably and just yes to all these plans too with people and hanging out when I really realized I needed to pick and choose, Mm -hmm. you know, and take time to myself because I realized I thrive in that kind of setting, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I love that too, especially how you mentioned how it used to be. So how did you feel when mm. you were a yes man? Like, how were you feeling? Ooh, how was I feeling then? Mm-hmm. Oh man, I think pretty drained
1: and really hectic. And I don't think I was feeling good. I think I was having like hangovers from actual alcohol and
0: hangovers from doing too much too you know like emotional energy hangovers yeah Yeah. oh my Mm -hmm. gosh yeah I love that you mentioned like the emotional energy part too because you know when you're just doing everything and saying yes to everything and you do a lot right so like being a musician yourself and then making music going out DJ doing the jewelry business and then how do you balance it too when it comes down to stigma because i know that's always a big topic especially for people who live with bipolar should you share this with people are you going to be judged i would love to hear your experiences with that and what your experience with stigma was to you view it now
1: yes first first time which was basically roughly 10 years ago oh my gosh a secret like not telling anybody I felt so terrible about it, but I was like, oh my gosh, it was almost like the plague or something. And it's so terrible. And, um, but throughout the years, it got better. And today I'm more open about it, but this, doing this is amazing. And like, I'm totally comfortable with posting this, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is really talking about the fact that I do have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, but it's, it's that analogy. I always like to say people have cancer and diabetes and sometimes people have their knee that's in constant pain like if your mind is in constant pain why would you just sit there in pain Mm -hmm. and like getting a diagnosis is the first step for anything in health conditions so that's taking steps after that you know so now definitely accepting it as this medical and scientific thing actually because science is science and I feel like facts kind of clear things up for me and just acceptance, yeah.
0: I love that. And especially I love how you reframe the way that you looked at it. You talk about at 19 years old, definitely telling no one and having the feelings like this is a plague. And I never want to talk about it, never want to share it. But then over the years, making the changes, like you talk about with your schedule, with no more doing all these late night shows and doing the drinking, stopping doing that. And just really noticing, taking more time for yourself and getting away from that yes man mentality. Mm -hmm. And just, I love that you compare it to, to other things that people live with and deal with. So diabetes and having this, and then you say like your mind is in pain, like why would you continue just to sit there and add on to it and just stack on different things? So I really love that too. And just talking about the acceptance piece of looking at it from a medical lens And just how we look at everything else, right? When you're sick or if you have the flu and it's not stigmatized, because I know you mentioned talking about how helpful therapy has been Mm -hmm. and when did you first get into therapy? What were your Mm -hmm. thoughts when you first started? Were you like skeptical of it?
1: Mm Um, I would like to call myself a veteran of being in therapy because I think I started Uh, My parents put me in therapy when I was 17 because of the divorce, I remember, in high school, but it just never really clicked, and then I stopped, and then as soon as all this went down, like 10, 11 years ago, I've seen a therapist since then till now, um, gone through different therapists, and right now with my first male therapist, which I thought would be kind of out of my comfort zone, but I've been seeing him for two years. And it's just, I feel like, first of all, I know people who don't even have a mental health disorder, tell me that they need to see a therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's already what's happening. But then especially if you have something going on, that's, you know, altering the way you think you have to see a therapist, you know, and I feel like it's just something that I've really, like, stood by and I also promote and um, like I won't try to overdo it too much because I feel like you know even friends like you don't need to feel shameful about going to see a therapist you really don't you can just go and I could see people who need it but they're like uh, but I've passed out resources sometimes but yeah I see my therapist every Friday but one Friday he was not able to meet so it would be two weeks where I wouldn't see him but during that weekend I did not feel good. I forget what triggered it, but I went to really low depression. And I was like, what can I do to help myself right now? I researched and researched to find another therapist because I wanted to have someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Not to have a new therapist, but I want to meet with someone right now, you know? And I know there's online stuff like BetterHelp, but I wanted to see someone in person. So I actually couldn't get a hold of anyone because right now therapists are booked up. I'm just telling you right now. It's crazy. It was so crazy. I was trying to find somebody in the LA County, like everywhere. No one, like everyone's like, no, not available. This, that, that, like we're a month out this. So it was crazy. So I, I just shared how I felt with like maybe two, three of my friends, but I eventually saw my therapist, but that's what I'm saying. I feel like, you know, it helps it's there. It's a resource and I know it's hard for some people depending on insurance and cost, Mm -hmm. but there's always an option if you really do your research.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that you mentioned that, too, and just having that stability with it and having your every single Friday and doing it and just being able to have, like you said, someone to talk to and wanting that in-person connection too. Because I went to therapy pretty young like you when I was like 16 years old and didn't take it seriously, really, which is really sad to even be in a position where you have parents who can do that for you. And I feel like, again, it goes back to like the stigma of not feeling comfortable because you don't know this person. It's a stranger. Like, Where do I start? Like, I don't want to do this. And I love how you mentioned like getting out of your comfort zone and thinking that going to a male th- therapist would be, weird or it's not like something you've done, but actually being able to help more than where you were at before. So I really Mm -hmm. think that's a huge thing too. And I love how you mentioned other people coming to you who don't have any kind of diagnosis and being like, well, I could use it, but you know, (laughs) I don't know. And it's so true because it's like a resource to stay with what you're doing. And there's people who talk to people who are doing good. And you might think that why are they coming to me and meeting with me? If they're seeming like they're good, you know. There's mm-hmm. what's a the problem? where's the issue? Let's try to figure this out. And they're like, Well, there really isn't anything right now. And another thing too is negative thought patterns. Like when we obviously get yourself into that mindset, what has helped you come out of that? Ooh, um,
1: one thing I learned like long time ago from this one therapist I had, her name was Cheryl. And It was cognitive behavioral therapy and an example, something that I think a lot of people can relate with is what if you text someone you care about and they don't text you back for two hours? And so you would actually write down what you're feeling. And for example, I would write down my emotions are upset, uh, sad, um, maybe shameful because I have insecurities and this person is doing something and they don't care about me and it's spiraling because that's how actually my thought pattern goes Mm because I'm sensitive that way and then you'd write that down and then you would next to it write down um, what is an alternative because you're thinking all these things and what is an alternative even if it's not true or not you could think he's busy or she has a deadline she mentioned that she has on Friday so she can't maybe she's just busy Mm -hmm. and then when you write that down on paper and then the next column would be, how do you feel now? You know, so mm-hmm. that actually helped a lot. And I used to think it was silly. I feel like, um, you know what I mean? Like all this, mm-hmm. like people think it's all silly, but no, like these are actually CBT is scientifically proven, mm-hmm. helps people with bipolar and depression. So there's little exercises that I actually forget to do that because I think it's kind of sometimes corny to go write the, this down on the paper, but it actually has helped. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. No, I love that you bring that up. When you say you text someone and they don't respond, mm-hmm. you immediately think, well, they don't care about me. They're maybe they don't really like me, or maybe they're not gonna answer. And just going mm-hmm. into all these reasons like that. And then like you said, like having that sensitivity. So I feel like that's something that's huge that can help, right? We yeah. get ourselves into these stories. So I love that you bring that up because that can help with so many things. Mm-hmm. And just to really see your thought process and really sit and start to notice the patterns. Too, like, yeah. oh, like I do this a lot, or I say this a lot, and then you can actually see it down on paper. So, I love that you talk about that and just bring that up too. So, you're it's bipolar, too, right? Mm-hmm. That way, yeah. yeah. So, having more like the hypo, hypomanic, but more of like depression side. So, with more of the, the depression side, like, what do you experience with that mm-hmm. currently, and then mm-hmm. what? things help you with that
1: okay yes um ooh, okay so what I experienced with that would be lack of motivation mm-hmm. isolating from people going out and having like all these social interactions but then kind of in some ways ghosting people or not really like um I think that's also a personality trait maybe it's not tied to my depression I don't know You know, because I'm so like what someone said, a really good friend of mine made a joke to me. He was like, oh, so are you um, the award winner of the saddest person ever? Because I talk about my depression because I'll be like, oh, I'm sad. And like, I will talk about it. And it's serious. But like he doesn't he he understands it. But he's like, sometimes you can really get caught up in it because I really do. You know, and it can be bad for me. So. I understand that lighthearted joke, but yeah, I just get really in my head. Sometimes I may have a gig that night, you know, basically work, just work. And same, I'm sure it goes for other people. You don't even want to go to work, you know, mm-hmm. and then you realize that it's very strange to be like, I'm sick. And if it was a cold, it would be really, it would make sense. Or if it was COVID or something, but being depressed and sick is kind of hard to understand. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I deal with, kind of just being in like this negative little pool of quicksand and kind of not reaching out to people. Maybe like I could count two to three people I can tell exactly that I'm not feeling okay. And those people are those safe people that I
0: can tell, you know. Oh, my gosh. Just hearing you describe that. I know that that's something that I feel like it's a weird thing because I feel like sometimes people think, oh, you're doing so good now, right? It's like, like how you look or you're, oh, you're working and you're doing this or, you know, whatever it is, right? If people look at you doing all these gigs and it's hard when the thoughts that you're having where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. For me, like having thoughts of like, oh, like I got hacked. Like, should I just quit the podcast or now no one's going to even be able to find me and I'm going to have to start over, and, but then really being able to write it out and get clear on it. So I love that you get into that too. And, were you doing the dj stuff and producing the music and having your jewelry business before your first episode or how did you get into all of the things that you do oh okay so
1: no not before my first episode so this i've been doing all this stuff probably relatively in the last four years Mm -hmm. and um you know music has always just been very I I remember reading one time, a lot of bipolar people feel very deeply about things and lyrics and songs. And um, I feel that way. And I just was always into different underground music since high school. And then Mm -hmm. so like four or five years ago, I just kind of got inspired um, actually at uh, this restaurant that I was working and managing at called Escala. It's in Koreatown. Los Angeles and there was turntables there and that old school stuff and my boss would scratch on it kind of like that old school hip-hop and that just caught my attention and then in within like a month I just bought them and um, I just basically just ran with it and yeah it was oh really gosh. cool
0: yeah yeah I love that because I feel like mm-hmm. now you're really doing what you enjoy and you love, so you always talked about your love for music and really being able to start to have that over the last four years. And I think that's something that just to show people that who have the diagnosis or maybe they don't, but they're recognizing symptoms that could be tied to it or whatever it is, knowing that you can still do the things that you love and are passionate about, but still have those times to take the breaks for yourself, to really take care of yourself and remove yourself. And do that at the same time so i loved being able to hear your journey with it going from being 19 to really not wanting to talk about it not having a lot of resources or su- feeling a lot of too much support for that and then now going from all those years later to being 31 and now being able to like have those boundaries and like get into setting that and not saying yes to everything not just doing everything and then really having the awareness of like I don't feel good. I don't feel good when I'm doing this. I don't feel good when I'm putting myself in these positions of drinking a lot and then feeling mm. bad. So I'm going to start doing things that make me happy. And when you're and then when you're in those periods of ha- having the depression n- having the tools to be able to pull yourself out of that and then give yourself grace while you're going through that. So I love that. And I think that's super like amazing. And just to even talk to you about it, Mm because I know that can be hard They find people who want to talk about it and tell their stories. What has been the biggest lesson that you've learned from bipolar?
1: Hmm. man biggest lesson. Can it be two? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the first one would be that your mind and your thoughts are very powerful, that you can think one negative thought, and it could start making you feel like your feelings will literally follow that thought, like a dog chasing something like a bone. And yeah, and the core is to start changing those thoughts. And lesson number two is I mean, I, I need to keep practicing this, but care less about what other people think and the judgment, like try not to judge other people and then don't worry about others judging me. I think it's that's the hardest thing.
0: I deal with it. So it's
1: a lesson I'm still
0: learning. So yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I love those. And I love how you talk about the one negative thought. It's almost like a dog- running after something Mm -hmm. and it can just completely spiral and then getting into really shifting what others think about you because that gets into like how we create the stories of this is what people think when in reality it's it's not but we're Mm -hmm. just thinking that it might be but really not knowing exactly what's going on with that if you could share out of everything that you've tried everything that you've done across the past 11 years from first having your experience with going into hypomania, what has been the one thing you can share that's helped you with living well, bipolar?
1: Ooh, okay. I would say doing, sounds like we're back in school, but I would say doing your research. (laughs) As in, uh, whether it's even Google or my main thing, is how I found you. By typing in bipolar on the podcast app, you know, mm. literally like knowing what you're dealing with and searching that on all platforms, like even on YouTube, because we're living in a world where people want to help people and there's the internet. And I think just finding all the information, whether it's like science-based or other humans who have the same experience or different experience. Yeah that's
0: it that's it oh my gosh I love that I love Mm. that and especially just doing the research right like connecting Mm. with other people reading more books listening to more podcasts listening to more videos just trying to see what is out there about it what's the reality like for other people and then how can I maybe apply some of this to my life and my experiences and I love that's how we got how we connected and found each other you, you searching bipolar and then finding me and then that's how we got to be able to be here today to where we can talk about your story. So I love that. And I want you to tell everyone where they can find Mm -hmm. more of you. Hmm. Okay. The easiest would be my Instagram. It's DJ
1: period J E A N K. So DJ Jean K. And there's links on my bio for other stuff, but yep. Over there.
0: Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So go connect Mm -hmm. with her and check out her stuff there. She's such a positive influence and I love just (laughs) being able to just to see you and connect with you there and have our conversations and everything. But this has been so much fun. I can't wait to share it and Mm -hmm. really just continue to get to know each other more and learn and be there as a support. For one another through whatever it is so that's a huge thing so i just want to say thank yes. you jean for coming out here it's been so thank so good you. chatting with you
1: yes and likewise and i just wanted to say like when i came across your podcast even now like i'll scroll to you know when it says see all episodes i'll just go to all the old ones too because they're all so relevant and so helpful so i just wanted to say thank you very much
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I've loved it. love this conversation mm-hmm. and cannot wait to put out yes. there and just, you know, give you guys the takeaways from this. So thanks, Jean. Cool. Thank and you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye.